Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Kind of forgotten. Uh, this whole thing is like the idea of uh, making your favorite recipe. And every recipe has certain ingredients and certain instructions about how to fold those ingredients together and which part goes with which and at what heat do you, do you cook them at and how long do you have to cook them. And if you follow the recipe as a general rule, you're going to get the same results every time and it's going to be that favorite thing that you love. Well, building a Christian life is very much the same way. It's not like arbitrary. It's not like God helps some people and not other people. And well, but these people, you know, had it more difficult than the other, although those, those variables are true. But the Bible says that there are disciplines, or we're calling them ingredients because it's a little easier to kind of get our head wrapped around, that if we'll begin to get these into our life, even small increments, that we'll begin to get these into our life, the Holy Spirit takes those and starts developing what's happening in your life, starting from the outside, but never staying on the inside. Supernaturally, He goes all the way to the outside, and your life begins to look and feel uh, just like the Bible said that it was supposed to. All the promises of God begin to line up. So we've gone through a whole bunch of them already. The first, the first uh, few weeks, we talked about a passion for souls and how we can't just be so self-focused. We've got to realize that the Bible's real, eternity's real, and we've got to be thinking about other people. We've got to have a passion for God's Word because that's what feeds us and leads us and directs us. We've got to have a passion for the Holy Spirit. He's our partner. And he's the one who brings all this strength and this supernatural next level stuff into our life. And we need that. Then in weeks four and five, we talked about a passion for worship. What that actually means. It's not just singing songs. Why we do this and how we should be doing it in our personal life, not just in, you know, when we're at church. And then last week, we talked about a passion for prayer. And the reason I listed all of those, because today we're going to talk about a passion for giving. And this is a really important hinge because everything we've talked about before this all now comes into play when you understand why God wants us to give. Because it's an investment into all of those other things, not just for other people, but it's an investment into all those other things to keep them healthily mixed together and kind of holding, holding fast where they're supposed to in our own life. And so... All five ingredients that we've already studied are going to be going to be part of today, and I'll try to point some of that out, but uh, you can skim through the workbooks and understand that. Yeah, now some people, you know, are, going to, are looking at what's going on in the, in the world today, in our everyday life and circumstances, like real time, and they're like, Pastor, this is the worst time to talk about giving. And I won't argue with you from that perspective, because we're thinking about inflation's on the rise, and the economy's like, what's going on in the job market's just weird, we don't know what's happening with that, and, and there's a war raging between Russia and Ukraine, and, and then there's other countries that are posturing, you know, that, and they're making decisions whether they're going to jump into that war or start their own war, and then there's sanctions going every direction all over the place, which affects our economy more, and supply chain, et cetera, and it just goes on and on and on. You're thinking, this is the worst possible time to talk about giving. Unless you remember that Jesus talked about every single one of the things that we're experiencing like real time right now in Matthew chapter 24. You can go read it for yourself. 
It's like scanning the headlines of today's news. Jesus listed every single one of these things, and he said, when you see these things happen, and they're intensifying, and they're like just grouping together, and there's more and more and more, he said, here's what you know for sure. These are contractions. These are birth pains. The earth and the, the, the time that we're living in is, is contracting like a woman who's in labor because it's about to birth a new, uh, a new time frame into eternity, and everybody's about to move into a new part of God's plan. But Jesus said, but when that happens, he said, pay attention. And listen, because he said, the end's not yet. And that's a really important part to focus on because as much as the, the scenario and the headlines are painting doom and gloom, there's a plan for God's people. We're going to get through this. And not only that, God's plan never just drags you through and you're all beat up and bloody and you barely survive. God's plan somehow walks you through it. And while everybody else is beat up and bruised, you're like, well, I'm, I think I'm doing okay. And only God can do this now. I'm not bragging on any person. And there's no human being that's smart enough or strategic enough or has enough foresight or insight to be able to do this. But God knows all of this in advance. And he said, you're going to see all this stuff. And it's going to get crazy. And it's going to feel intense. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to put pressure on you. And it's going to temporarily adjust certain things in your lifestyle. And you're going to be like, I don't know what to do. And God says, yeah, listen, I do. I do. I already know all this stuff's going to happen. I got a plan for my people. And he said, you just need to walk through and hang on. In fact, two things that he says in Matthew 24 are super important for us. He said, when all these things happen, don't be deceived. And the reason you can't be deceived is because everything and everybody's screaming, we're not going to make it. The whole thing's going to come, come to an end. We're, you know, we're, people are going to be losing their livelihoods and we're just not going to make it. He said, no, no, that's not true. Not if you're a believer, not if you're following me. He said, don't be deceived. And the next thing he says is even crazier. He said, and don't be troubled. Don't be stressed. Don't be anxious. Don't be frustrated. Don't get like super like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He said, don't do that. And again, he said, because all of these things have to happen. The contractions have to happen. They're uncomfortable. They're violent. They're, they're intense, but they have to happen or the baby can't come. He says, but the end's not yet. I've got a plan for you. You're going to make it through this. And so listen, no matter what's going on in the world, this is the best time for the people of God to talk about money, to talk about giving, because we need to understand, okay, God, what's your plan? Because no matter which direction I look, the world's plan's coming unraveled. There are no guarantees. I don't care how rich you are. Stocks are plummeting and dividends are not dividing like they're supposed to. The world's economies are shaking. And listen to me, we've been through stuff in history before the Great Depression and the recessions and people can go from being millionaires to being flat broke in a moment. And, and, and listen, if, you're out, if they're out there and they're, they're, they're looking at all this stuff, they're, they're super nervous and they, and they should be. But the people of God shouldn't be. The people of God should realize, listen, we're hooked up to a different economy. We're hooked up to a different system. And you can read about it in the Bible and you think about how cool that is, you know, that God would take Israel and would just pull them out from under Egypt's slavery. They were just, you know, slaves to the system, slaves to the government, and, and they just pulled them out. And then it got him out there and like, yeah, but how are we going to live? You know, we don't have any jobs, we don't have any resources. And God fed them and supplied them everything they needed for 40 years. 40 years. God's got a plan. 
always has a plan. So, so we're going to talk about this today, and, and you have to realize a couple things. Uh, as we're moving through these contractions, you, you should expect it's not always going to be comfortable. Contractions aren't. I never had them, but I watched my wife, three different kids. Not only that, they're not always convenient. They don't always wait, you know, till the perfect timing. They come when they come. And you have to, and they're not easy, but listen to me. But as we follow God's plan, he fills us from the inside out supernaturally. We're not kind of working this stuff up and encouraging ourselves. It says we become faith-filled. Something happens on the inside and where everybody else is panicking, you're courageous. You're confident. No, no, listen, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I have no idea how to do this. I don't know if I, can, if I can survive another week, another month, another six months. But listen, my trust is in the Lord, and He can do this. And so today we're going to watch all this, and we're going to see how does it all apply to our developing a passion for giving, uh, because it ties us into God's, to God's plan. Um, I, I grew up in a home that was committed to financial giving, to tithing, to giving. And, and I'm going to say, I watched my parents all, all of my life. They were not rich people. Most of the time we lived paycheck to paycheck. Dad was working a couple of jobs sometimes. Times where he got laid off and he's working three and four jobs. And, and we just lived in a work, 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 work. That, that was kind of the home that we grew up in. But I remember my mom and dad refused, refused to compromise on tithing and offering. And it wasn't because they had the money. It was extremely inconvenient and extremely hard for them and put them in these situations like, we just don't know how we're going to make it. But here's what they had already understood and they knew. If we don't do this, we don't know how to, we we can't follow God's plan the way he's supposed to. So they didn't see that as this heavy legalistic condemnation, God's going to hate me. They saw this as, no, this is our only way out. This is our only answer. It's kind of like showing up for work every day, even though your paycheck's falling a little short. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Quit your job? I mean, that, that's an income for you. You got to keep working while you figure something else out. That was my mom and dad's attitude with tithe and offering. And I remember lots of times, you know, with uh, seeing them standing in the kitchen, my dad's big old strong arms lifted up in the air, tears streaming down his face saying, we, we need help. We don't know what we're going to do here. And my mom joining him in that prayer and saying, we're going to believe God. And I watched him. It worked every single time, all the way through our life. Never missed a meal. I weren't rich people, but we never missed a meal. And we always had everything that we needed because of God's provision. Now, but I I got into adulthood. And so I knew what to do. I just didn't know why. And I didn't really know how to do it other than, you know, just kind of break down hard. No, I'm, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And that's great. But I, I felt like there's got to be something else. There's got to be something going on in me that will help me to make that decision so that every single time I go around the block, I don't have to bite down hard. And there's got to be something in me. And this is what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to look at two passages in the Bible today. And as we look at these two passages, uh, it, it's going to kind of form a storyline. And we're going to understand, first of all, why God wants you to give your tithe and why God wants you to give offerings. It's so important. And by the way, it has nothing to do with money. Nothing. It has everything to do with your heart being positioned so that God can give you more money. It really is. God, God's not a stingy God. Wait till you get to heaven and you're going to see. Oh my goodness. God's not a stingy God. And God is extremely generous, especially with his children. But he's not going to give us something that's going to hurt us 
that's going to lead us farther into misunderstanding. Uh, and, and, and so sometimes we limit ourselves, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And then we're going to look quickly at the Old Testament about how the, he actually had this long conversation with the people of Israel about this exact subject. And he made certain promises to them that you and I can take advantage of today. All right, so I'm in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. In case you don't recognize that reference, this is the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So one of his most famous messages. And he's talking about all these different various subjects about how if we'll honor the Lord and, and trust him that God will develop our lives. Matthew six nineteen says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, what he's not saying is, don't lay up treasures. He's saying, you know, he's not saying you you shouldn't have a bank account. You shouldn't have, you know, some savings somewhere tucked in a bank or under a mattress or something. He's not saying any of that. He's saying that you, you shouldn't lay up and store these things with a certain purpose in mind. And, and here's where we look, and the words lay up, those two words, and the word treasure, even though they're not connected in the English, in the, in the original language, they're the same word repeated twice. And that's really important because it's trying to double emphasize something. And what these words actually describe is a gathering or a storing up of something. But when you bring in the heart behind the action in the actual Greek language, it's talking about the heart of an individual that rises and falls based on how much they've stored or how little they have stored. In other words, it's saying this, what God doesn't want you to do is to put your happiness and your peace and to tie it to how much finances you have. Don't let that be the deciding factor, whether you're feeling strong and confident and courageous, whether you're just excited about life is based on your bank account, is based on how well things are going. He said, don't let that be the deciding factor. He says, okay, then then what should we do? And he goes on in verse 21. He says, but lay up for yourself. In other words, base your happiness and your peace and your confidence on treasures that you store in heaven. Listen, where neither moth nor or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's two important things. He said, where neither moth or rust destroys. Well, he's talking about where the value of what you have can't go up and down. Because you, you can get something that's really nice, right? And then it's not stored properly. And you realize, oh, look, it's all rusted and it's all deteriorated. He said, no, no, no. He said, put, put your treasure, the right treasure, somewhere where the value is not going to go up and down. And you're not feeling rich one day and then realize, oh, can't believe that. You know, and then I got to do it all over again. Don't do that. And he said, where, need, where thieves cannot break in and steal, where you're not going to get cheated out of this. It's not going to be stolen from you. It's not going to be, you know, you promise, somebody promises you something they don't deliver. And here you put in all this work or you put your hopes there. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody disappointed. He said, that's never going to happen in the, the way the kingdom lays it out. You're going to invest something and you know that that investment will do what God promised every single time. The economic market in heaven is not going up and down. The value of of heaven's treasure is not going up and down. And God's not trying to steal anything from anybody. In fact, God promises you can never outgive him. If you give him something, he will multiply it and then turn around and give it right back to you. And you're like, wow, that was way more than I gave you. Yeah. That's the way that heaven works, and this is what he's promising. So, so now we know what to do, and we know what not to do, but here's the big question. Why? Why? 
He goes on in verse in number 23 and he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And right away, God says, here's what you need to understand. You have to adjust your thinking. He said, your money is connected to your heart. And listen carefully. Your heart will follow your money, not the reverse. And that's important to understand. Because we have to begin to realize when, when, when wherever you're storing up or wherever you're trying to hold on to what you treasure, that reveals something about what's going on in your heart. Let me give you an example. Um, if you really love, you know, if you have a family, if you love your, your spouse and you love your children, then you can look at the way you spend your money. And you're going to see, other than, you know, paying for the mortgage or the rent or whatever and the lights and all this stuff, you're going to see all the money you can is going towards bettering your family. And you're going to say, oh, so here's what I can tell you about you. You love your family. Uh, it, and, and that same thing goes when it comes to the things of the Lord. It doesn't matter how much money we're talking about. If you really love God and you really trust God, then after you get some of those other things done, we're going to be able to see, oh, so we can see that, yeah, you love your family and think, but wow, you really love your church. You really love the Lord. You really trust that. It's not a dollar amount. The amount is irrelevant. It's about what, recognizing where are you distributing? Where are you storing things? And Jesus said, this is really important because wherever you're storing things tells me where your heart is, not your heart saying, well, I'm going to. No, no, it, there's a connection there and it moves and he's going to show you why in just a minute. So Matthew 6, 20, 22 goes on and, uh, and says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Now I'm going to walk you through this a little bit because once you see it, you're going to be like, Oh my goodness, the lamp of the body is the eye, and it's, it's the eyes in our physical body are like what happens on the inside. This is where we get perspective. So we, stand, we step into a room, and we kind of scan the room. We say, okay, I, I know what's going on here. I, I, know, I know where things are at. He says, the, the lamp of the body, or the way you direct your life, is, is by your perspective. If, therefore, your eye or your perspective is good, or it's a right perspective, he said, then your whole body, and again, your whole body represents everything going on in your life, the way you live, the way you think, how you're, you know, how you're behaving, how, how you're, how you're uh, reacting to what's going on. He said, if your perspective is a right perspective, then everything that you're going to do after that is going to be in the right direction. And that's a wonderful thing. Look at verse 23. He said, but if your eye or your perspective is bad, then your whole body, the way you think, the way you live, who you're becoming, he said, that whole, that whole thing is going to be full of darkness. In other words, it's going to be clouded in the judgment. It's going to be reacting to what's going on up and down and in and out, just trying to survive instead of understanding this is the right principle. And if I'll get on this principle, God will do what no one else can do. And he'll just walk me right through the middle of stuff. And he said, if you understand that, he said, then the lights are going to come on. But watch this. He said, and if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, he said, how great is that darkness? What he's trying to say is if your perspective is bad, but listen, but you think it's good. He said, how in the world can anybody lead you out of, of, of wrong thinking and wrong acting? Because you're already convinced. No, no, this is the right way to go. And there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians that are tied to, you know, wise economic strategy and all these things. By the way, that's not bad. That's part of stewardship. 
But they're tied into a principle that's leading them as the world gets crazier and crazier. They're, they're having to choose between do I do what God says or do I kind of follow some of these economic strategies because, man, this is a really crazy thing. He says, and when they make the wrong choice, if they've made the wrong choice, but you're, you're trying to show them and they think, it, no, no, this is the right choice. Let me show you why. Because the economy right now, it says, listen, then they are completely surrounded in darkness and they'll never be able to get out of it because it's their perspective that's holding them. And listen, now he, he's building up to a point and here comes Jesus's big finish. All right, here's the big point. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. That's a definitive statement, means can't be done. Don't even try. It's not going to happen ever, ever. And he says, here's why. Because he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Every time that you try to, to use two to, to follow two different sets of principles, it's going to be inevitable. At some point, you'll be able to see, no, you're leaning to one and you're doing it completely ignoring the other. And if you keep doing that, it'll get to the point where you're just not leaning. You absolutely are, are holding to one and you hate the other. You wish it didn't even exist because it's just frustrating you every time you hear it. He said, this is going to be a graduating thing. And notice he, he says, uh, here, here's the big point. He says, because you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon's a really important thing for us to understand because mammon is, is the description or the title for an evil spirit that roams around the earth, talked about all over the Bible, and it deceives people into thinking if they handle money a different way than what God said, or if they put their trust in, in their money. In other words, boy, we got plenty. We got lots of savings and we got retirements and we own properties and we're, we're set. I don't care what's going on. We're set. It, listen, it's a deception. And all it's trying to do is to get you to move your trust and move your heart to a different system. And Jesus said, you have to really watch that like a hawk because you'll never be able to serve God to do things God's way and do things the way the world says. It'll never, they never ride together, at least not for very long. You may have certain points where, well, that's just, you know, kind of good budgeting, good stewardship. Well, those are great, but those are in the Bible too. But the Bible says at some point, you've got to make a, a, a core choice and you've got to say, I don't care what happens, I'm following God. And that's a heart thing. That's not a money thing. That's a heart thing that you have to have decided so that when you approach money, if money's good, it'll be easy. Praise the Lord. See, this is what happens when you honor God. But if money shifts and it becomes really tight, your heart will still be like, no, praise the Lord. This is what it means when, I, when I'm following God. I'm committed no matter what. And I'm trusting that God rides above all this stuff. Somehow, someway, supernaturally, God's going to make up the difference. And we're not going under. We're going to go right through this thing. We're going to go over this thing. And when we get to the other side, we, get, we might see lots of other people that have lost this and lost that. Not us. Not us. This is a promise of the Lord. Here's truth number one about giving. Giving is a matter of the heart. And more specifically, giving is a decision to trust God and not a world system. To trust God and not your own instincts. To trust God and not lean into the pressures and the intensity that are trying to get you to not trust God. To absolutely trust God. I can't say this enough during this message. This has nothing to do with dollar amounts. Nothing. It's all about a heart issue to say, Lord... 
The only way that I'm going to make it through these perilous contractions, all this craziness, is to trust you because you, you, you got a way out. And he says, and this is what he's supposed to do. Now, that's what Jesus preached. And it was this phenomenal sermon that everybody was standing there was like, like, okay, like, wow, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty intense, pretty heavy stuff. But what is important is if we go backwards in the Bible to Malachi chapter, uh, chapter one, this is the very last book of the Bible. This is the last conversation that God had with his people before he stopped talking for 400 years. We don't understand what that means because we live in a country and the word of God's always speaking to us. But for 400 years, God stopped talking. Then he started talking again in what we know as the New Testament when John the Baptist came and said, hey, by the way, I'm here to announce that the kingdom of God is back in the game, is active again. And that's what introduced Jesus. And here we go. But in Malachi chapter one, God is having this exact same conversation that Jesus preached about with the people of Israel, because they, they'd done exactly what, he, what Jesus preached not to do. They had led themselves, they have allowed themselves to lean back to trusting in the things of the world, financial strategies, and, and this is how to make it. And temporarily, they were, they were kind of enjoying it. But God's telling them, that this, this is not, it's a dead-end street. It's a short-term, it's not going to work for you. In fact, let me give you a little bit of a perspective that kind of thickens the plot here. Um, the people of Israel had just come out of 70 years of exile, kind of like what's going on with, with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, an, uh, an invading enemy had come in and literally taken over their land and kicked many of them out. And the rest of them kind of fled um, for refuge. Some of them were drug off to another country and, and employed there to be trained under that country. And, but it, it was a crazy time. But this, this is a time now where God had brought all of them back together. So it'd be like, wow, we're back in the United States and things are starting to be like they're supposed to be. I can feel the freedoms. And it was a wonderful time. But rather than being grateful to the Lord and, and recommitting their heart to God, who'd done all of that supernaturally, they didn't win a war. They didn't fight their way to freedom. God did all of this supernaturally. And wham, one day they woke up and they thought, it's over. And it was totally a God thing. Rather than honoring God, they started living carelessly to the point that they actually began to defraud God about resources. I'm not talking about just being a little stingy. They actually kept coming to church and saying to the Lord, hey, we're, we're here to bless you here. We're giving you offering. But they were defrauding him. They weren't giving him what he asked for. And they were trying to convince him, no, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we're trusting you. And God says, you know that I'm watching you, right? You know that while you're singing praise to me and you're saying, no, I'm putting my trust in you. You, you know that I'm watching you. You're not putting your trust in me. And you're singing a bunch of songs, but you don't mean anything from your heart. And, and God wasn't like just mad at him for that because he needs all this praise. God's saying, I'm trying to bless you. That's why I delivered you. That's why I brought you to a place where I can teach you and help to build your life up. And you're not cooperating with me. And this is going to be the whole conversation. So I don't have time to go through the whole story. I really wish I did because it's, it's just such a fascinating thing. But let me kind of skip a rock. So I'm going to do like we do on a pond. We'll just skip a rock. And I'm going to skip in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 1. All this is in your workbook, by the way. Uh, but this is going to go kind of fast because I'm just kind of highlighting the, the conversation between God and the people of Israel. And so verse 7, God says to them, instead of joyfully giving, you're complaining. Oh, we got to give. Oh, we got, okay, fine. Well, I know I'm going to feel guilty if I don't give something to the Lord. So fine, let's just give. 
And, and verse number eight says, and not only that, you're not even giving me your best. He says, you're keeping your best for you. And he said, and what you're giving me, you wouldn't give to anybody else because that's so embarrassing. Let me give you kind of a quick clumsy example. It's like, you know, everybody knows that if you're going to go to a restaurant, you should be tipping around 15%. 18%, you know, is even better because these guys are trying to make, make a living and sometimes tips, you know, are the, are the make it or break it line. Um, so if you don't give 10, 15%, you know, if you understand that, then you're kind of already self-conscious if it dips to the 14, 13, 12, you know. But, but, but if you're just throwing, you know, 50 cents on the table and somebody's worked really hard to serve you and make sure you've had a great time, listen to me, there's a lot of people that would just be, I mean, they're so embarrassed by that. There's been times that my wife and I have not even gone out to eat because we knew we didn't have the money to go out to eat and tip. And I would just be too embarrassed to, to not honor somebody who's serving us like that. And God says, Here, here's how bad it is. He said, you're not even giving me what's customary for a tip. You give 15% to somebody who's serving you in a restaurant. You're not even giving me what's customary for a tip. Not that he requires that. But he's saying, see, you're, you're embarrassed to, to give something so small and so meaningless to somebody else. But he said, but you're, you're kind of throwing at me like I should, be, I should be happy. I should be proud about that. In verse 10, he talks about their, their, that their attitude is so careless and so dishonoring to him. He said, honestly, it would just be better if you stopped giving altogether. It's kind of like what he said in Revelations where he said, I wish that you were either hot or you were cold. But this lukewarm stuff, this is just nauseating. Just pick one. Just pick one and be honest. Verse number 11 and 13, he says, and listen, the world's watching you, by the way. I don't mean the global stage, but people around you don't have a relationship with God. And you're saying, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church, but they're watching you. And he said, and I'm not going to continue to allow you to misrepresent the, the finances of the kingdom. I want to bless you. I want people to see, wow, it pays, if I can use that term, to honor the Lord. He said, and you're not representing that well. And he said, so I'm not going to let you keep doing that. Verse 14 says, because your heart is so selfish and deceived, not because you're living in a financial challenge right now, not because, you know, money's really tight. All those things are, are part of it. I get it. And, and, you know, Debbie and I have lived through it and still sometimes hit those things. But he said, but I'm, he said, but I'm looking at your heart and I'm looking at you're so deceived and you're just so you know, uh, determined to stay in your deception and do it your way. He said, I'm actually going to revoke my blessing. He said, even what I've been doing for you, I'm going to pull it back. He said, because I want you to understand what it's like to live without my blessing in your life. He's not doing this, you know, to, because he's so angry at you. He's doing this to try to get your attention because I've been talking to you and you're not listening. You're arguing with me. Well, thank the Lord that God is always, always, always merciful, and he always gives, gives us a way to repent and, and get back. And when we get to Malachi chapter 3, that's exactly what's going on. He's begging and calling his people to come back to him. And so verse 7 says this. Verse 7 is, is you know, he's, he's saying, he's saying, listen, I've offered to restore you over and over and over again. I'm offering to keep my blessing going and even upgrade them if you'll return to me. But he said, every time I do, your response is like, what? What are we doing wrong? We're doing the best we can. What are you, what are you talking about? We, we haven't left you. And verse number eight says, and he said, but every time that you keep, keep holding on to what I've asked you to give, your tithe and your offering, he said, you're stealing from me. He said, I'm watching you. 
It'd be like inviting somebody over to your house and they come in and they ate all your food and lay on your couch and this has been a great thing. And just before they leave, they grab your wallet and open it up and take some of the cash out and stick it in their pocket. And they're like, what? I'm not doing anything wrong. And God says, you know that I'm watching you, right? I mean, I'm looking right at you. I can see this. Verse 10 says, but if you will turn around and you'll bring the tithe and offering back to me because it belongs to me, he says, here's what I promised you. He said, I will restore you. Now, let me clarify a couple of things so that we don't just leave it in this, this you know, big, like, fuzzy, fuzzy bag here. When he's talking about tithe and offering, tithe, according to the Bible, is not 10% of your income. Listen, it's the first 10% of your income. It's not you do all the budget, oh, I hope I have 10% left. It's you do the first 10% to honor the Lord, and then you say, okay, God, I, I need to make this go as far as I can. You're going to have to help me, and if I'm a little short, you got to figure out something because I'm not making it. But you're putting your trust in God for the resources, not your trust in resources, hoping you'll have something to give to God. That's God or mammon, God or mammon. And God says, no, no, put me first. Trust me. In fact, he's going to say in just a minute, if you don't believe this is true 100%, try it. Test it. Take it for a test drive and find out I'll do exactly what I said. Anyway, so the tithe and the offering, tithe is the first 10%, and then offering is anything afterwards. Could be one penny. Could be a nickel. Could be a quarter. Could be a couple bucks. And it, it doesn't matter, and that's free for you to decide. Because whatever you invest in offering, tithe belongs to the Lord, and that seals an agreement with him that we're going to see. But offering is you getting to invest, kind of like people invest in the stock market, or they'll invest in property because it's going to come to a different value. Or It's seed, it's investment that you get and put into the kingdom. But again, in the kingdom, there's no, there's no moths, there's no rust that's eating it up, there's nobody stealing it. Kingdom investment is always the same. It always works every single time. It will always turn around and bring back more. There's no risk if you trust God. And so this is what he's trying to help them to understand. The second thing is that he's trying to point out to them, Israel, the very thing that I'm trying to get you not to do, you're doing, you're trying to serve two masters. Still coming to church? Still, you know, saying, Lord, you're, you're my Savior, you're my Lord, still singing all the praise songs, and still praying every single day, Lord, I just need help. Lord, I just need help. Lord, I just need more resources. Lord, I just need you to help me budget. Lord, I need more opportunity. Lord, just help me, help me, help me. He said, but the whole time you're praying that, you're not doing what I told you to do so that I can help you. He says, you're trying to serve two masters. He said, pick one. Pick one. If you want to do it in your own strength, okay. He said, then you're, you, know, you can do that. You're still going to heaven, by the way. You can do that. It's going to be a pretty rocky road sometimes because when the economy goes up and down, you're going to be like, uh, yeah. He said, but you can do that. Or you can put your trust in me. And when the, ro- when the road gets rocky, you just hold fast and watch what I do. I'll come through and I'll smooth that pathway out. Listen, and over a period of time, you'll begin to realize, wow, my life's been climbing. And he says, you have to trust me. And let me tell you why. Because just like we parents know with kids, more blessing doesn't always help them. If something's not right in their life, you know, oh, I want ice cream. I, I want candy. You know, I want a new koi. I want a new bike. And if we just keep giving them what they want, what they want, they want thinking that's going to make them happy. It's not. Something's shifting in their heart. And they're not going to grow and develop. We have to stop at times and say, listen, I know you want that. And I want that for you too. 
But that's not going to happen right now. And I need to teach you something about moving forward in life so that the blessing can come at some point. God's trying to tell them, if I were to give you what you want right now, if I had to just keep blessing and giving you more money, it's going to drive you deeper into a wrong perspective. And you're going to think, see, this is how to do it. I come to church, I sing all the songs, I serve God, but then when it comes to this, well, I, I need to have my own thing. And there's a lot of Christians that are doing that, serving God on Sunday, and on Monday, it's like, okay, I got this, because this is the real world now. So now, now I'm going to, I'll, I'll figure this thing out by myself. By the way, they'll still go to heaven, they can live that way, but it's a bumpy road. It's a really tough path. But there's other Christians who said, nope, Sunday is like our big gathering place and we get to drink it all in. But come Monday, we're going to live all this out and we're going to trust the Lord and we're going to watch what happens. God will do exactly what he promised he would do. And this is exactly what God's trying to get them to show that. So in verse number 11, God says, okay, here's your way back. I'm not trying to punish you. I'm just trying to get your attention. Here's your way back. Listen to what it says. Verse number, uh, Malachi 3, verse 11. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Now listen, he's, going to talk, he's been talking to them about tithe and offering. He said, forget the offering for a minute. Let's just talk about tithe. Let's just talk about what already rightly belongs to me. I'm not talking about the extra. That's up to you whether you want to give it or not. But let's just talk about what belongs to me. Some people say, well, if it belongs to the Lord, then why is it in my paycheck? Well, for a similar reason that you can look at your pay stub and the government just decides to take theirs out before you ever get it because they don't trust you that you'll give it to them. So they take, yours out on, they take theirs out on the front side and then at tax time, you might get a little bit of that back, but, but they're going to take it out on the front side. God says, if I did that, then your heart's not involved. So instead, I'm going to give you all of it, but I want you to know that top 10%, that's mine. And I want you to calibrate your heart by before you, you, before you determine, do we have enough money or not? Take that top 10% and say, Lord, no matter what's happening with the rest of it, I know this belongs to you and I'm going to slide it back across the table to you. He said, that's a way to honor, to calibrate your heart and for you to recognize, number one, you don't own anything. All this belongs to the Lord. Number two, my trust has to be in the Lord at all times, good times, bad times, everything in between. My trust is in the Lord. And I demonstrate that by sliding the first 10% that rightfully belongs to him right off the top. Before I look at anything else, Lord, this belongs to you. And when I do that, the Lord says, okay, your heart's right. And, he, and he'll help you with the rest. And so God says, here's the way to start. Bring all of the tithe into the storehouse. And again, the storehouse, he's talking about his, his kingdom, his church, places that, that, that provide for the people that are hungry, that have needs. And some of them are resource needs. Some of them, a lot of them are spiritual needs, emotional needs, you know, the, those kind of things. That's the place where God collects it all. And it's for his kingdom. It's the Great Commission, it's the church, it's, you know, it's all, everything that's reaching out on behalf of the kingdom. He said that there may be food in my house. He said, and listen, and try me. Other translations say, actually, take it for a test drive. You don't have to, I'm not asking you to commit all the way right now, but commit enough to say, all right, I'm going to just try to trust the Lord and let's do, this for, let's do this for a little bit and we'll see if God really does what he promises. He said, put me to the test. He says, in this says the Lord, and see, listen to this, if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. Now, that's, that's an actual truism, but a lot of Christians misunderstand that. So let me help you with this. 
When he says, I will open up the windows of heaven, let's first start and say, I will pour out such blessing. The blessing he's referring to, listen, is not cash. And some Christians say, okay, I'm going to test the Lord, and, I, and I'm going to put, you know, my, my tithe in there first and foremost, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm expecting any, any day now, any day now, I'm going to get this big check, or someone's going to just come and come and hand me a big offering. Listen, the blessing is not cash. Listen, the blessing for these people who were agricultural people, the blessing for the peop- these people is rain. And the reason that's important, because God says, if you'll give me tithe, I can give you the the money. But he said, but what I really want to give you is the opportunity and the understanding, the conditions to make more money. It's like I can give you a fish or I can teach you to fish. And I can give you access to the pond that's always well stocked and the fish are always hungry. He said, listen, I'm going to do that. And the reason you need to understand that, because he says that there will not be room enough to receive it. We're not talking about somebody backing up, beep, 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 you know, and dumping a truckload of cash in front of your house. Like, I don't know what to do with all this money. That's what Christians think. And so they get disappointed, right? He says, no, no, I'm going to set the conditions and I'm going to give you opportunity, listen, that are going to be so plentiful that you will not be able to take advantage of it all right away. You have to grow into it. I'm going to give you a job opportunity that's going to give place for advancement, that's going to give place for you to flourish and blossom and use all of the gifting that God's given you and not only resource you financially, but stabilize parts of your life and help you to feel more, you know, more, more fulfilled purposely and, and bless your family. And he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity that you'll literally, it's so good that you're going to have to grow into it. That's what crops were. But if you'll stay with this, he said, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. And listen, not only that, you get an extra layer of blessing if you're honoring the Lord. He goes on and he says, and not only will I bring opportunities so you can grow uh, in, in your life and become more financially abundant and stable. And he said, but I will rebuke the devourer your sake, for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. These are farmers. Nor shall the vine fail to bear its fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. Here's truth number two. Obedience brings a twofold blessing. The first full blessing is it postures you for God's abundance. Again, I already told you what the blessing is. It's not cash. It's, it's, re, it's opportunity. It's conditions. It's rain. It's the right sunshine. It's the soil, you know, be, being, being able to receive and to let the plant grow. It's all those perfect conditions that what God's given you, the opportunity, it can actually flourish. And notice he says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. This is really important because it's used all over the Old Testament. And every single time it's used without fail. It's always talking about something abundant that's coming from the Lord, which tells us this. Heaven is an abundant place and God's an abundant God. Don't let anything or anybody convince you, well, God doesn't really care about money. You don't know who God is. You're not reading your Bible right. And when you get to heaven, you're going to find out he absolutely cares about it. And he's super generous. And God is rich beyond your wildest dreams. He owns the whole world, everything on the planet, everybody on the planet. God's the one who takes it away from some people and gives it back to others. In fact, if you're understanding these end times, it's going to be crazy. But at some point during the end times, here's what the Bible promises. Those who have been storing up all these treasures, all these millionaires and billionaires and gazillionaires in the world who are not serving God, the Bible says, let me tell you why they're storing that up. They're storing it up. So at the right time to give it all back to the people of God, because God owns it all, all of it. 
And so, boy, you talk about someone who wants to be doing what God says so my heart's in the right place and my life's positioned right so that when God begins to redistribute, I get to be part of that. He said, this is what's going on. And he says, listen to me, it's really important that we understand uh, that windows of heaven are always open and only open to rain down abundance. But listen to me, disobedience will close the windows of heaven every time. Every time we'll close the window, it's heaven. But obedience will open them wide and allow abundance to come to us. Here's the second blessing that God's promising. That obedience, this one's kind of wordy, so forgive me for this. But obedience displaces the enemy's ability to infiltrate your life. Everything from financially and spiritually, but really everything else that that touches. Here's what I mean by that. Not only is God promising to bless us abundantly, but God says, I will rebuke the enemy for trying to steal the extra that I'm giving you to try to steal all those blessings that you feel like, okay, finally we're getting ahead. Okay, this is good. I feel good. And all of a sudden, all the appliances break down. And all of a sudden, the car breaks down. All of a sudden, some bill comes in. It's like, where did that come from? I didn't even know. And you feel like, well, shoot, I'm all the way back to ground zero again. The enemy loves to devour and just chew up and bring discouragement and disappointment. But the Bible says when you're faithful to tithe and you're honoring the Lord, God will declare your finances and your health and all the things that are affected by that. He will declare it off limits to the enemy. Now, this is important. It's not automatic. How many of you know that uh, stealing from people um, and brutalizing people is off limits in our country? We have laws for that. But how many of you know people still do it to other people? But it's against the law right? And so when something happens that's against the law, and you know that ain't right, then our job is to call the law and say, hey, so-and-so just ripped off my car and punched me in the nose for telling him he couldn't steal my car, and I don't think that's right. And a police officer will come, in fact, a whole bunch of police officers will come and say, tell us who he is, because we're going to go get him and say, you're not supposed to do that. You're going to jail, and they get everything back. And God says, listen to me, I'm going I'm to put your finances and your life off limits to the enemy. Doesn't mean he won't come try to get it. But what it does mean is when he does come, you should say, well, God, you said that was against the law. You said that I'm protected from this. And listen to me, when you say that, God will back you up. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. Let me just read you one scripture and we'll come back and finish Malachi. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Therefore, submit to God. God's saying in Malachi, okay, try me, make a decision, let me, trust me. Here he says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Lots of Christians want to resist the devil, but they won't submit to God. Oh God, help me. Oh God, just come in. Look at, look at all this stuff's happening. I don't know why it's happening. Just come and help me, help me. And he wants to help you. But the first thing you have to do is get back in line with him. Lord, I'm sorry if I got out of line with you. I'm with you all the way. You're my Lord. I trust you. I don't trust anybody else. If I'm messing up, forgive me for that and help me to get back on. Now resist this thing. Rebuke this thing. Come back and make up the difference for what's been stolen from me. So he said, resist, uh, submit to God first, then resist the devil. Look, he repeats it in a different way. Draw near to God, and then God will draw near to you. But we're kind of reversing. I God, just come close. I don't feel like you're anywhere. Well, you're not anywhere. You left. He didn't leave. 
And so he says, draw near to God, and then he will draw near to you. And then he talks about what the drawing near to God, what the submitting God process might look for us to some degree or another. He says, clean your hands, you sinners. That just means people that make mistakes, not people that weren't saved necessarily. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Trying to serve two masters. He said, stop being double-minded. Get on the same page. Make a decision. He goes on. He says, and this is what it might feel like. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to gloom. And, and verse, the next verse says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, lots of times we say, okay, that's it. I'm going to do it God's way. And then we get in there. It's just too hard. And it hurts. And I'm sad. And I'm scared. And yeah, yeah, that, that's what the transition feels like sometimes. Because you're pulling your trust out of what you thought was right. And now you're replanting your trust in God. And that can be a painful process. But listen to me, the Lord's with you every step of the way. He says, if you'll do this, he said, if you'll humble yourself, he said, then the Lord will lift you up. And so, so, uh, so, so we, we can see all this happening, by the way, in your workbook, we walked through how it happened in the early church and it was painful and it was scary and it was inconvenient, but they walked through it all, all the way. Okay. Here, here's the last, the last truth. And we're wrapping it up here. Uh, truth number three, God promises to supply all of your needs. Now that's one that we all absolutely love. It's like, please preach on that one today. Because everything's going crazy, and I need to hear that one today. So here it is. We are going to preach on it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Such a wonderful, wonderful... I can't tell you how many times I've been walking around in the middle of the night, sometimes tears streaming down my face because financial pressures and all these things that are happening. And, and I'm just saying, Lord... All I'm standing on is you promised you were going to meet all my needs according to your riches and glory. And you got plenty of riches, plenty of riches. You could buy and sell this world a hundred times over and not even feel it in your account. You got plenty of riches. But, but here's what most Christians don't stop to really understand in, in the picture of what God's trying to get across, that you have to understand the context of the promise. And so here's the context. Paul's writing to thank the church at Philippi. Because they not only sent him a very generous offer that Paul was desperate for. Paul's praying and saying, Lord, you, you said you'd, you'd open the windows of heaven. You said you would meet my needs. You said you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. And here I am, I'm trying to serve you. And I've been imprisoned and finances are drying up. And I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how I'm going I'm to do this. And all of a sudden, he, he gets a check in the mail, for, so to speak. And it's an extremely generous check from the church at Philippi, who, by the way, were hurting themselves. And he's not only thanking them for their extreme generosity, he's thanking them for their extreme generosity that he knows was a sacrificial offering to them. They didn't have it in their account, but they knew that God says not only that if we tithe, he'll open up these opportunities, but now we have the opportunity to sow, to give, and so we're going to make what seems like a risky investment into the kingdom. And we're going to say, Lord, okay, we're going to put this in there believing that you're going to give back to us. And they did this for Paul. And it, it was a huge, huge encouragement, a huge game changer for him. And in response, Paul's writing them a letter and the Holy Spirit prompts him and says, I want you to make them this promise on my behalf. And here's what he said. He said, God will give an extra layer of immediate abundant supply to anyone who first of all has made their decision that they're going to honor God with their tithe. They've submitted to the Lord. 
They've drawn close to the Lord and say, boy, we're trusting you. We're putting all our trust. But they've honestly committed, and then they've willingly and obediently and generously, they've sacrificed and they've given into the kingdom. God says, I'm watching. I'm watching. And if they're putting their trust in me, he said, listen, they will never outgive me. Galatians says, you can never sow that you don't reap because God will never be put on the hot seat. Nobody will ever, ever, ever get to heaven and say, well, you know, the bottom line is I gave so much and you really didn't match that. It's not going to happen. Everybody's going to get there and say, yeah, I wish I would have given more. Because every time I gave one, God gave 30. Every time I gave two, God gave 60. Every time I gave three, God gave a hundred. I can never, ever, ever outgive God. He promises this over and over. And that's certainly true to people who will honor him with their tithe and then turn around and say, even when it's painful, Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do and I'll honor you in my giving. I'll develop a passion for giving. Now, listen very carefully. This is never about the money. Never. There's a story in your workbook about Jesus who saw this little widow woman who was barely scraping by. I mean, she just didn't have anything. And yet she came and she gave what, what really amounts to us as about a penny. She dropped it in. Surround all these guys that are rolling in in their Rolls Royces and they're dropping fat checks in the offering, but they're talking about the sports game. And, you know, to them, it's just a token. They're just giving God a tip. And Jesus is watching all this. And then here comes this little widow woman and she digs into the bottom of her purse with, you know, her gnarled fingers and she pulls out her last two little tiny uh, mites and she puts them in the offering. And Jesus is like, wow, did you see that? Did you see that? And he tells the disciples, when, according to what God's looking at, she gave more than all these guys did. All of them put together. And God says, watch the way I honor her. And this is what the promise is in Philippians 4.19. Listen, we don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the economy. <laughs> Not at all. All we have to do is to, to go through the lamenting and the, and the crying and how hard it is to say, no, we're going to stay committed to you, Lord. We're trusting you. But if you mess, if you fail me, I'm sunk. We lean into him and we trust him and we give our tithe. And then when we can, we give just a little bit more because we want to invest. And God says, wow, did you see that? He says, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to supply them abundantly with all of their needs. I'm going to make sure to carry them right through this this rough patch and they'll get on the other side. And not only will all of their needs have been met, but they'll get on the other side and they've actually got some kingdom treasure stocked up and their life begins to tilt and begins to go up, 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 up. This has nothing to do with the economy, nothing to do with what's going on in the world. That's a whole separate deal. God says, come up here and let me show you how to get into my economy. And these are promises of the Lord. Now, you might be here today and you might say, man, I I can hear you. My, My heart wants to, but that's tough. Listen to me, God is a tender, tender-hearted God. He's so tender. And I've been there before. And you just need to go to the Lord and say, I, I, don't, I don't know how to start. It's really tough. And then you say, take baby steps. Or I, I, I'm going to do this. And you just begin to take baby steps and you ask the Lord to help you. And I'm telling you, God will come and help you every single time. And once you take that first baby step, then you just keep reminding of his promise. Oh, oh, okay, you promised. You promised. And you put, you put that in there and you walk away saying, Lord, if you don't come through for me, I, I'm telling you, that was the worst decision I ever made. But I'm trusting that you will come through. 
And not only did you promise you would open up the windows of heaven and you began to move opportunities around and you began to bless my life, but you also said you would safeguard and protect me so the enemy doesn't come in and destroy everything you're trying to do. I'm trusting you all the way, all the way. And, and God will just baby step you all the way into financial security and financial abundance. Listen to me. This is not me talking as a pastor. This is God. And I'm telling you, God does what he promises to do. I've been living this out for, let me think, 40 years now? I mean, really my whole life, but for 40 years, I've understood why and I committed myself to it. It's not always been easy. Uh, In ministry, sometimes things go up and down as far as offerings and tithe. That's not always been easy. Listen, I committed to it, and God continues to resource. God continues to take care of and to bless Debbie and I. We're not super wealthy people by any means, but God takes care of us. And he always has, and he always will, because it's a promise of the Lord. Hope you've been blessed by God's word today. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will comfort you in this challenge, because he's trying to set us up to take care of us through these contractions and these trying times. He's a faithful God. He'll do it every single time. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. And I threw as much as I could at this by what I felt like you directed me to do. But take it now and and divide it up and, and feed each of us with the pieces that we need the most. Help us to be encouraged by this and not just challenged and no condemnation at all. Lord, you're never about that but to come with your tenderness and your grace and by your goodness, lead us back into repentance and lead us back into obedience and then follow through and be be the blesser, be the provider that you said you would be. We're trusting all of this and we're gonna thank you in advance because we know that you'll do what you said in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, stand up this morning. No, no, seriously, stand up this morning. And uh, as we're dismissing right now, at least say hi to two or three people and tell them, wow, that was a great message today. I want to hear you say that because I just want the encouragement and, and then you're dismissed. God bless you guys. Don't forget to pray. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.